0: Well on this beautiful sunny morning we'll turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and we will eventually read from verse 22 on to the end of the chapter I suppose you often wondered maybe why week by week we bring bits and pieces uh, to your attention and the reason obviously is because we're concerned at the way things are going in various churches. And we all want to keep close to the Scriptures and the Word of God. And we are thankful for those people who bring these errors to our attention because we need to be always on our guard. We're soldiers and we're doing guard duty. And we need to be careful that we don't let the enemy enter into the camp. I've mentioned over the weeks about contemplative meditation and that culture which is creeping into the churches. It's been encouraged today in many evangelical churches and elsewhere. But there's one thing uh, I read about this week and I'd read about it before but I just thought I'd mention it briefly this morning. A thing called Lectio Divina and it's a form of Bible reading which is promoted by the Roman Catholic Church and on the surface, it looks relatively harmless reading the Bible. However, it's not just simple Bible reading, it's a mystical practice that was developed in Rome's dark monasteries over many, many years. There's a chap, here's a name you should take a note of, Richard Foster. And he's had far-reaching influence in popularizing Catholic contemplative practices among evangelicals and in one of his uh, articles he quotes a Catholic mystic called Madame Goyon G-U-Y-O-N and here's what she says here's what he quoted once you sense the Lord's presence the content of what you read is no longer important the scripture has served its purpose. It has quieted your mind. It has brought you to him. You should always remember that you are not there to gain an understanding of what you have read. Rather you are reading to turn your mind from the outward things to the, to the deep parts of your being. You are not there to learn or to read but you are there to experience the presence of your Lord. An amazing thing to say. When you're reading the, the Word of God, you're not there to understand it. It's to all there for an experience. And that's the way it is. We need to separate ourselves from practices such as this. Here's what John said in 2 John chapter 2. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we receive a full reward whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not into your house neither bid him Godspeed, speed for he that biddeth him Godspeed, is partaker of his evil deeds. That's a, a very serious thing John is saying here. We'd say, ah, that can't be true. The Bible warns that those who assist heretics become partakers of their evil deeds. You know, we should read carefully the tract I sent out a while ago, a while ago by Roger Oakland, about how we know when this emerging church and things are creeping into your church Uh, and read that again whenever you want more copies of any of these things you only have to ask and following on from that there was another thing that he he brought up Oakland recently and we were talking last week I think it was regarding a future one world religion that Tony Blair said He wants to see any form of extremism kept out of religion and all faiths working together. I don't know whether you heard Kerry, the the previous archbishop, being interviewed the other day. There are five, I think it is, men in Iraq who were uh, hijacked and uh, they've been kept by some group of Shiites, I think it is, and Kerry uh, intervened and tried to do something about getting them out against the wishes of the Home Office but he wrote to these people and he said now these were men who who have uh, taken these men hostages away from their families for over a year I think now and he calls them men of good will men of faith Uh, there's, there's such a mix up with these men these days calling these hijackers men of goodwill, men of faith who worship the merciful God well uh, R- Oakland brings out this point he says do you know that if you are not willing to accept an ecumenical unity for establishing the kingdom of God you may soon be labelled dangerous by a global Christian council listen to this is what he says Lutheran leaders calls for ecumenical council to address growing biblical fundamentalism. He goes on to say, in order to explain what this headline means, I will quote from the article. He's quoting from an article here. The leader of the nation's largest Lutheran denomination has called for a global Christian council to address an identity crisis on how churches interpret the, and understand the Bible. Presiding Bishop Han- Mark Hansen of the Evangelical Church in America called for Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, Lutheran churches to come together to combat... Now this is interesting. To combat communism, to combat Islam, to combat what? What serious thing does he want to combat to combat a fundamentalist, millennialist, apocalypticist reading of the scripture. That's what what they're against. Perhaps you may be wondering how significant is this statement. Who is Bishop Mark Hansen and what is he really advocating? Here's the answer. Hansen called for the formation of a global ecumenical council during the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America's assembly in Orlando, Florida a few years ago. Hansen is also president of the Geneva-based Lutheran World Federation. His request for a group to monitor and expose anti ecumenists who take the Bible literally carries some weight. Hansen's message contained other statements that indicate his disdain for Bible believing Christians particularly those who take Bible prophecy seriously and see Israel and the Middle East crisis as an end times signpost. For example he said mainline churches traditionally are uneasy with literal readings of Scripture particularly in fundamentalist churches regarding the end of the world and political unrest in the Middle East Oakland goes on now he says let's evaluate what Bishop Hansen actually said if you are a believer in a a biblical end time scenario based on taking the Bible literally in Hansen's eyes you are a dangerous fundamentalist millennialist apocalypticist He would like to form a council made up of Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Anglicans... ...and like-minded Lutherans to investigate and deal with this crisis. A crisis. He thinks it's a crisis because people believe the Bible. They did not realize that believing the Bible was creating a crisis. Bishop Hansen views those who reject reject the Kingdom Now theology and believe in an apocalypse next he thinks they're crackpots but there is more this is is quite amazing Hansen seems to believe the reformation was without cause and that the church must embrace the Roman Catholic Eucharistic Jesus in order to bring about an ecumenical unity and the kingdom of God here on earth quoting once more from the article Oakland says Hansen also urged the Vatican to work with a Lutheran World Federation to develop a joint statement on the Eucharist to mark the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation in 2017 and this who started Luther and those people this is the Lutheran Church want the Roman Catholic Church to join with them to develop a statement on the Eucharist to mark the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation oh it all, it's all gets worse every week but there we are as we say enough of that for now turn to our Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and we we'll read from verse 22 now I, I want this I think this talk this morning I think it's a practical talk perhaps, rather than uh, a a lot of ministry. It's a very practical problem we all have, uh, and we'll address that as we go through this morning. So let's turn to uh, verse 22. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place where he shall choose to place his name there the tithe of the corn and of the wine and of the oil and of the firstlings of thy herds of thy flocks that thou mayest learn to fear, to honor and respect the Lord thy God always and if the way be too long for thee so that thou art not able to carry it or if the place be too far from thee which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money and bind it bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after for oxen or for sheep or for wine or for strong drink or for whatsoever thy soul desireth and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household and the Levite that is within thy gates thou shalt not forsake him for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee at the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand, which thou doest. Now, this this tithe is, is a different tithe. It's clearly different and additional to that spoken of way back in Numbers 18 which was to be given to the Levites for their service 10% of of everything you know the temporal support of those who uh, were in the ministry as it were who were the Levites and who served the Lord had a, a very important part in the Old Testament and in the New Testament there is the same principle Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 if you read it when you go home it's all set out there uh, support for those who are in the work of the Lord but our responsibility towards that is not 10% but it's based on 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 you want to look at 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 I'm not going to go into the whole question of tithing. But I just want to get over this. Uh, thing first of all. Regarding First uh, Corinthians 16 verse 2. On, upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you. Lay by him in store. As a gift. As the Lord hath prospered him. As the Lord. As the Lord hath prospered him. What's 10% of what the Lord has prospered us with (laughs) can I measure the blessings both spiritual and temporal by which God has prospered me it's a different principle altogether isn't it how can we work out how the Lord has prospered us it's impossible thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 but if you look at these Ephesians one eighteen, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ Ooh, blessings there to Ephesians 2 Verse 4 But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not as yourselves, it's a gift of God. What does it say? As God hath prospered us, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Romans 8. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Debtors, we used to sing a hymn with debtors to mercy alone. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We're sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. As God hath prospered us, it says. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, Isn't that amazing and if so be that we suffer with him that we may also glorified be glorified together we could go on and on and if then you can work out what 10% of that could be could we ever dare to evaluate it, never I remember going to a Amazing, one time that a lot of these reform guys there, and they're all into the Old Testament as well. They think the church has taken over all the things about the Jews, and they were working out. They were they were having a discussion as whether this ten percent should be before tax or after tax. I mean, really, it was it just boggled my mind that people would think this way. But this chapter really is speaking about. This is a second tithe. And this is to be eaten before Jehovah in the place where he would put his name. And this for the Jew was a particular joy. To gather in the place where God had chosen to put his name in in the joyful assembly. In a way chosen by God to offer up praise and worship and to be nourished and satisfied By the blessings which God had bestowed on him. And on his loved ones. And on the rest of Israel. This was a feast. That every Jew must have cherished. And looked forward to. What a happy time of fellowship it must have been. All them making their way up to the place where God put his name. It had to be before the Lord thy God. They were to eat before the Lord thy God. This was not a feast to be be enjoyed at home obviously there were certain aspects concerned with this tithe that had to be enjoyed with others it was something which they had to do together how does that apply to us today you know I believe that this tithe that we're talking about here is, talks to us of our spiritual substance which God has benefited us with which we acquire as we walk with God day by day he blesses us with spiritual abundance as we we saw in all those verses we read and we could go on and read many many more we hopefully grow in grace and in the knowledge of God that is our desire to grow and produce fruit that is the desire God has for each one of us that we produce fruit in our lives the fruit of the spirit the produce that we produce in our lives and this fruit when an apple tree produces fruit it's for the benefit of to produce more more and more and have more apple trees and we should be producing fruit That will be the benefit of people around us. And this is what this tithe was all about. They were bringing this, the, the fruit, the abundance, the spiritual abundance that we have obtained. We should be bringing it when we meet together. We want to grow. We talked about last, we spoke last week about. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. That we may grow. We feed on the word. We grow and hopefully produce fruit. Through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The principle as I see it. Is that this fruit must be used for the benefit of those. Within our fellowships and churches. This tithe being offered. For their spiritual support and for their edification. And we receive from them, and they receive from us, and we're all benefiting from each other, what God has provided for us the spiritual growth, the spiritual food, the spiritual fruit. Benefiting each other as we meet to produce fruit. With which each has been blessed. And you know it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. We have to give the benefits we have received to others. You know this is a problem if we look around today. Many churches within Christendom. There is no way for this spiritual fruit. Which Christians have obtained. That can be enjoyed by other Christians when they meet together. Ministry is restricted to one man. However faithful he is. He cannot provide substance for all who meet together. There's no interchange. And those who if you wish to go to a church like that when you come. There's no way you can pass on the spiritual blessing. It results a kind of overeating or, or on the other hand spiritual malnourishment you know there's also a warning for those who do not wish to meet in assembly with, it, with others we need to meet in fellowship with other believers but we must also only meet before the Lord thy God in the presence and in the place where he chose to place his name that's where the Jews had to go let's go back to the Jew making the journey to this special place for some this was going to be a problem this was going to be a difficult they lived a long distance Jerusalem as we know was the place where God decided to place his name and Jerusalem will always be the place where God has placed to be where his name will be magnified and glorified and in the millennium kingdom that's where it's going to be but for some of them going to be a long journey to carry all the produce and stuff connected with the tithe for long miles would have been extremely cumbersome and the answer was so practical wasn't it turn it into money make the journey and then transfer the money into those goods it says which thy soul desires wasn't going to be any excuse not to go they still had to make that journey to meet together that's what they wanted to do you know we live in difficult times We've seen week by week as we've looked at the scriptures and things and we bring other little snippets of news to you that there are problems in various churches which surround us. Some which we would be happy to attend are too long for thee. Not close by. In many ways. What are we to do? And I think this is a very practical uh, talk because many, many throughout the, the world and throughout, throughout Cornwall and Devon and Britain and uh, the, the, the rest of the United Kingdom are finding it more and more difficult to find a church that they can attend. Too long for thee. They can't get one close to their own homes. What are we to do? This is a very pertinent question for today are we to compromise the truth for the sake of expediency and take second choice as to where the Lord thy God has placed his name can't do that can you imagine a devout Jew on his way up to Jerusalem and saying oh, this is too difficult I'll go to Damascus instead <laughs> nevertheless many Christians take that choice and make that choice Sunday by Sunday should we refuse to make that compromise I was thinking about this we'll face criticism we will face criticism let's look at a couple of the things people will say to you because of this the, very, the first one and we've all had this and we know of this even my own family have said this do you think you are the only ones that are right do you think you're the only ones that are right this on the face of it is sometimes perhaps hard to answer however for me the question is not whether we think we're the only ones right it's not who is right but what is right it's what is right is the important thing we may only enjoy fellowship if we believe that the truths taught in any place are solely those taught in the complete word of God then they are right and those that obey them are right if they are not solely the truths taught in the word of God and man-made doctrine has come in then they are not right and those that obey them are not right we must always be careful of our attitude as well we need to have the right attitude to God and to his word and to others and make sure that that is right with God as well as our position in the sight of God Another point of criticism we may encounter is, why is it, and and this will be thrown up at you time and time again, why is it that those who follow these truths which you uphold are such a small minority? You know, uh, David had this thrown up at him uh, by his brothers. When he went uh, to find his brothers who were fighting, His brothers were embarrassed at seeing this young shepherd fellow coming along asking about how the battle was going. And he said, why don't you go back to your flock, your father's flock of sheep in the wilderness. Go back to there. Don't come here annoying us. And you know, he eventually, through the power of God, overcame the enemy. But He was an embarrassment to his brothers because they wanted him just to go back to his father's sheep and leave them alone. And we come across this criticism and here are just a few instances of small events that were successful. In Noah's day, eight people, eight people against the world, eight people against the whole of the world, Noah, battling away, making the ark, must have stood some criticism. But he stood out against the whole world. Two spies went into the land. Twelve spies went in, two came out. They were faithful to God and to his word. And because then the majority of the the children of Israel... Believed what the other ten said, they wandered in the wilderness for forty years. Two, against a congregation of Israel, thirty-two thousand men came to fight in Gideon's day, but God whittled it down to three hundred. Three hundred as against thirty-two thousand. The disciples who forsook our Lord he said will ye also go away many forsook the Lord Jesus he was left with twelve Jesus said enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it and in the churches of Revelation, if you read in Revelations 2 and 3, it was a remnant in each case. that who were the overcomers. And popularity is no guide. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hateth you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world but i have chosen you out of the world therefore the world hateth you remember the word that i said unto you the servant is not greater than his lord if ye have pers- if they have persecuted me they will persecute you also if they have kept my saying they will keep yours also but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me he was left with 12 out of many but what are we to do how do we decide where to go and where to meet in fellowship it's a big problem for the Jew it was not a problem it was fairly obvious God had made it known that his name was established in Jerusalem you know scripture speaks of an assembly a congregation which we must seek out an assembly or congregation that meets in the name of Jesus alone a gathering around the name of Jesus the centre of the gathering is the Lord Jesus Christ it's a place we need to find where the basis of meeting is fellowship not membership fellowship With the Lord Jesus and with each other. A place where the ministry and service is shared by the Christians, the members of the body of Christ, the saints of God. A place where man made creeds and traditions of men are rejected. We can't go to a place where we have to be licensed. Or have a man-made ordination before we can distribute the communion, bread and wine. A place where the word of God alone is read and ministered. That's roughly the kind of place we need to find. And on a practical level, a place where there is no solicitation of funds, because it says in John, third John, verse one, verse seven, because for His name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, taking nothing of the Gentiles. That's why many churches do not have public collections; they only have collections or offerings at meetings of the actual church members this is something lacking in most ministries and missions and churches today payments are solicited requested by credit card bankers orders, gift aid contributions and the rest they're the norm we now have local evangelical churches here in Foy having a fashion show during Daphne de Maurier week so that they can get some funds catwalk church advertised around the district with all the flamboyance and trappings of commerce and advertising to support the work of their God see, years ago and even not so many years ago There was no difficulty in distinguishing between the church and the world, between the saints, the believers, and the unbelievers, between those in the church and those outside the church. The line of demarcation was clear and distinct, and it was unmistakable. There was a distinct mark between those who were the the, the saints and believers as against the unbelievers anyone who looked at the face of society from a religious point of view could see three things there were three things there was paganism there was Judaism and there was Christianity there was the Gentile the Jew and the truly born again Christians and it was clear and now we have as with talking with most of these things and carrying these fellows, we have faith communities and Judaism and that seems to be about it anybody in any other group seems to be all grouped into these faith communities with whom the churches are quite prepared to work there was no confusing of these things the Christian church stood out in, in vivid contrast to the rest of them Christianity was strongly and clearly expressed in those days. It wasn't a national thing. or a per- it, it was a personal thing. Practical. Everyday living. And that was shown by the way the Christians lived. And these things have totally changed. The church and the world are now so mixed up the vast majority of those who claim to profess the name of Jesus could hardly tell you what they believe or make any attempt to make a commentary on any passage of scripture in fact the term saint is now used probably in a derogatory way with a sneer or it's applied to some uh, body who has been canonized by some superstition we have all these saints churches called after these saints who are canonized by, by irreligious, superstitious people in the olden days and even up to the present day where we have Pope John Paul who is going to be canonized, we have Mother Teresa going to be canonized And people accept it. And take it. So what have we to do? Where do we worship? And time is moving on. But listen. I read something the other day. And it makes it much more clear. Than anything I can say. By an old saint. Of old. And this is what he said. And he was writing it about 1840. And I read out what he says. He had the same problem. He had exactly the same difficulty. Where was he going to meet? He says, I should not be content to go on for an hour without the assurance that I am in spirit and principle associated with those who gather on the ground of the assembly of God. I say in spirit and principle because I may happen to be in a place where there is no local expression of the assembly, in which case I must be satisfied to hold fellowship in spirit with all those on the ground of the assembly of God and wait on him so to order my way that I may enjoy the real privilege of being present in person with his people to taste the blessings as well as to share in the holy responsibilities of his assembly. This simplifies the matter amazingly. If I cannot have a true expression of God's assembly, I shall have nothing. It will not do to point me to a religious community with some Christians therein, the Gospel preached and the ordinances administered. I must be convinced by the authority of the Word and Spirit of God that it is, in very truth, gathered on the ground and marked by the characteristics of God's assembly or else I cannot acknowledge it. I can acknowledge the children of God therein if they will permit me to do so outside the bounds of their religious system but their system I cannot acknowledge or sanction in any one way whatever. Were I to do so it would be tantamount to to the assertion that it makes not a whit of difference whether I maintain the principles of the assembly of God or take up with the systems of man whether I acknowledge the lordship of Christ or the authority of man whether I bow to the word of God or to the opinions of man no doubt this will give offence to many it will be pronounced bigotry prejudice, narrowed mindedness intolerance and the like but this need not discourage us all we have to do is to ascertain the truth as to God's assembly and cleave to it heartily and energetically at all cost God has an assembly and scripture says he has then let me be with those who maintain its principles and nowhere else It must be obvious that where there are several conflicting systems, they cannot all be divine. What am I to do? Am I to be satisfied to take the lesser of two evils? Surely not. What then? The answer is plain, pointed and direct. The principles of God's assembly are nothing. If there be a local expression of that assembly, well, be there in person. If not, be content to hold spiritual communion with all those humbly and faithfully who acknowledge and occupy that holy ground. It may sound and seem like liberality, he goes on to say, it may sound and seem like liberality to be ready to sanction and go with everything and everybody it may appear very easy and very pleasant to be in a place where everybody's will is indulged and nobody's conscience is exercised where we may hold what we like and say what we like and do what we like and go where we like all this may seem very delightful very plausible very popular very attractive but oh it will be barrenness and bitterness in the end and in the way in the day of the Lord it will assuredly be burnt up as so much wood, hay and stubble that cannot stand the action of his judgment. Finally if we be asked where is the true expression of this assembly of God now we reply where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. And be it carefully noted that in order to reach divine results there must be divine conditions. To lay claim to the latter without the former is only an empty conceit. If we are not really gathered in the name of Jesus, we have no right to expect that he will be in our midst. And if he be not in our midst, Our assembly will be a poor affair. Isn't that interesting? Where we meet, you know, is unimportant. Man would love to meet in great cathedrals with stone altars, much ceremony and rituals, mixing the law with New Testament worship. Man always had a great desire, you know, to go back into Judaism, to do things. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, 24 and 25. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all and breath and all things. You know, man loves to to talk of consecrated ground and holy buildings and all the rest. But when we meet, the secret, the kernel of the whole thing is we must meet in the name of Jesus. And the wonderful thing is, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. He's promised we have the assurance that if we meet in his name he will be there amongst us don't have to invite him in he has promised to be there and that's enough for me and as the hymn says, says where Jesus is tis heaven there since Christ my soul from sin set free this world has been a heaven to me and mid earth sorrows and its woe tis heaven my Jesus here to know once heaven seemed a far off place till Jesus showed his smiling face now it's begun within my soul t'will last while endless ages roll what matters where on earth we dwell on mountain top, or in the dell in cottage or a mansion fair where Jesus is tis heaven there oh hallelujah yes tis heaven tis heaven to know my sins forgiven on land or sea what matters where where Jesus is tis heaven there